at least once a year, I like for us to pause and just talk about the state of our church, the Bridge Church. And so this morning, our service is a little bit different. Um, I'm going to take about 15 to 20 minutes to talk about the state of the church. We'll worship through song, and then I'll come back and we'll have a sermon this morning, and I'm going to try to get it done in 25 minutes. Y'all pray for me. All right? All right? And so, uh, thank you. Thank you. We serve a big God. So, as I was contemplating about where we've been over the last year, the Lord spoke to me and said, last year was a year of sending. It was a year of release. And he brought me back to the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, where we are given the mission of the church, which is to go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. And he has promised that as we do that, he will be with us always and to the end of the age. And so last year, what God did through the British church was he was making disciples of all nations. And that's something for us to celebrate. Locally, we, we, we partnered with Exodus Church and we sent off Aaron and Carissa Fisher to lead worship at Exodus. Friends, we are, if people ask you, is your church committed to church planting? Tell them yes. First of all, we are a church plant. But secondly, we sent our own people, one of our worship leaders, to go and lead worship at another church plant. Being kingdom-minded means you send out your best and the brightest. You, you don't hold on to the A team and send out the B and C team. Paul and Barnabas were not C team type people. The church at Antioch sent out their best people, the people that no pastor wants to lose. But we're not committed just to the British church. We're committed to the kingdom of God. And so we sent off Aaron and Carissa to go lead there. But then here, in, 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 in short-term mission trips, we had our own people get involved in mission. Taylor Bauman went to Indonesia over the summer and served there. Nora Dooling, she sings on stage sometimes. She's a student at WSU. Went to Jacksonville over the summer and served with the Navigators. So did Colin, by the way. He just didn't get any money from us. <laughs> he didn't ask, so <laughs> I wasn't like, here, Colin. <laughs> no. But we had two of our own college students go and serve in Jacksonville over the summer. We had Dan and Renee Newton go and serve in Brussels over the summer. We sent our own people out. And that's what we're called to do. 
to make disciples of all nations. We supported Ben Griffiths. He was, uh, they were the young family from Dallas who are serving there to reach Muslims and refugees. So those are the things we did from a short-term perspective to send people out. But then we took a bigger step of faith and we sent out some of our own people to serve long-term. Meaning that we don't know if we'll ever get them back. Just a few weeks or recently, Nathan and Laura Welsh arrived in Albania to serve as missionaries there. Brian and Erica Lair left a few weeks ago, and they are now serving in Africa. But then we have partnerships with people like Colin and Lacey Cooper serving in India. And friends, if India gets reached, this thing is going to spread like wildfire. David and Kristen Okada are serving in Atlanta to reach Muslims for Christ. Pastor J.D. Greer, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and leads the Summit Church in um, Raleigh Dorm, North Carolina, says the health of a church is not determined by its seating capacity, capacity but by its sending capacity. It's not about how many butts we can fill in these seats. But it's how many people we can send out to make more disciples, fully devoted followers of Christ, of all nations, of all people groups. And friends, this little bitty four-year-old church in Wichita, Kansas, is having a global impact right now for the glory of God. And so we're sending. And oftentimes it's, it's easy to say, oh, we're just doing the same old thing. You know, we're just having church on Sunday morning. Friends, no, God is doing great and marvelous things through the Bridge Church. And so what we need to do is remain steadfast. Amen. We cannot, here, here's the thing though. We celebrate what God is doing through us, but we can't become complacent. Satan is still busy. He is still trying to uh, uh, grow his kingdom and expand his own kingdom. But God has called the church to, to, to be his military arm of his kingdom, to go and fight and declare the good news that there is a greater king and his name is King Jesus. He calls us to go and extend the invitation into his kingdom that all people can become a part of his kingdom if they will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. No man can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. The only way you can be born again is through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we are the ones who have to do that. We're doing it globally. And we, what we need to do in this next year is intensify our focus to say, hey, we're going to keep making disciples uh, around the globe. We're going to continue to send our people and, and, and coach and guide and shepherd our people as they wrestle with the call to long-term missions. We're going to do that. But we need to also focus and hone in right here in our own community. Amen. 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 
Listen, I'd have a problem on my hands if I didn't take care of Connie's house, my own house, and I was taking care of somebody else's house. I'd have a problem on my hands. (laughs) Y'all think she first lady. (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) We got to take care of our own backyard. And so we've got to refocus and say we're committed to making disciples here. Right here in our community. So where do we go from here? So we thank God for what he's done through us and what he will continue to do. So where do we go from here? The word that the Lord has spoken to me for this next season of ministry is revitalize. Revitalize. Today we're going to our new house. Let's talk about what was there before we purchased that building. It was an old building built in 1929, last updated in 1929. (laughs) That once vibrant, booming church had dwindled down to 12 members. And the Lord's own doing, he said, it's time for me to remove your lampstand. The membership had grown up in age. And so, finally, the decision was made to close that church down. It had lost its life. It died. And to the enemy, he thought he won. But what he didn't realize is that flat line for that building was temporary. God is bringing new life into 2328 East 13th Street North. That's the very church news address, by the way. And so now that the physical building is being revitalized. It's being remodeled, and we're going to go over there and see it together. But more important than the building are the people that are going to inhabit that building. God is bringing new life into that building. When people are moving out of our community, we're saying, no, we're going to hang in there. Because when Jesus said to go make disciples of all nations, he was thinking of 67214. That's our zip code, by the way. And so God has given us the unique obligation and opportunity to make disciples of 67214 in the surrounding zip codes. Let me tell you something. And we have a tall task ahead of us because here's what people tell me. I tell them where we are and the look just turns like, oh, okay. (laughs) The hood. Rough neighborhood. That's the reputation. Don't go there after dark. Not even dusk. (laughs) 
When, when I hear people talking about where they're moving, they don't say they're moving to 13th and Grove. Amen. They're trying to move out <laughs> of 13th and Grove. But I just believe that God, through the Bridge Church, can revitalize and renew this part of our city for the glory of God. And so it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take one baby step at a time. And so we're going to go over there. We're, by God's grace, we'll occupy a new building sometime in December. But not only are we revitalizing the building, but I think God's word to us is, I want you to revitalize the whole community. And that's going to require investment. Meaning that we can't just love that community once a week. We are going to have to get, let me use, let me see if I can use a theological term. We are going to have to incarnate. Jesus is our model for outreach and mission. Jesus left the glory of heaven and came to the swamp of the earth. He left the glory of heaven and, and, and came and lived in, 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 in a sin-filled world. He came and left the, he, he left the glory of heaven to be born in a stable. I'm talking about Jesus. He left all the glory of heaven to be treated as the worst of criminals. He left the glory of heaven where he's worshipped all day. There is no night because God is the light. He left all of that to be spit upon and beat like he was the worst of criminals. He left all of that to die on an old rugged cross. So what God is calling us to do through this ministry of revitalization is a ministry of incarnation where we go and we dwell among the people we want to reach. So some very simple things. We're going to start out very simple. Just down the street, two, maybe two blocks uh, south of our new home, Spate Elementary, that's one of our partner schools. They have said, we want y'all there. We want you to volunteer. Come help our kids learn to read. Come read to our kids. They said, we need lunch buddies. Because these students need to be mentored. They just want somebody to come talk to them and see them. They have a stealth program. It's an after-school program from 4 or 4.30 to 6. I get you all the time. That's one way just to get into, just, just to get a, a, a foot into the door. They have an, uh, an enrollment now of around 500 kids. Think about how many families we could touch. A few blocks down from space. A new community is being renewed and revitalized through Habitat for Humanity, an area that was full of blight before. Now it looks like a neighborhood. We have opportunities 
to reach those people who are already there, but then to minister to those who are getting new homes. And y'all, Habitat for Humanity is great. They don't, they don't just build a home and say, all right, there you go. No, these people have to put in their own sweat equity. They have to go through financial coaching and counseling. So they work. There you go. That's that American ethic. They work for what they need to get. It's very gospel-centric. That's sarcasm. And that's an opportunity for us to reach that community. So maybe what we need to do is go on some prayer walks. We see the people out there, hey, can we pray for you? Just, just simple things right now. So we need to revitalize. We're re-revitalizing that building. We're going to revitalize, excuse me, our community. But hope, hopefully this year, everything that God is going to do for us is going to revitalize our sense of urgency in making disciples. I told you before, of all the ways God is using us around the globe to make disciples, he's doing it, amen? Now, we have a couple of challenges ahead of us, though. Number one, we did get a very sizable donation to cover a third of the remodel cost. When I say a third, I'm talking about $50,000 a month over four months. That's why I'm talking about great is thy faithfulness. All we have needed, God has provided. Oh, don't, and don't forget the building came free too. So somebody that doesn't even attend our church has never stepped foot inside of this building. Just for the building alone has contributed $300,000. We, we have people that are paying the salaries for our staff. All we have needed, God has provided. Friends, now it's our time to invest in ourselves. One of the greatest obstacles that we face in this next season of our ministry is that mission may be hindered because we've got to put more of our financial resources towards debt. So we took out a loan to complete, uh, the, to, 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 to pay for the remainder of the cost of the remodel. And so we are going into a significant amount of de debt as a church. The one thing that's going to hinder us from staying on mission is this debt. And so here's what I, ooh, y'all got quiet all of a sudden. Y'all know, he, here he comes, y'all. That's right, we need some money. God is calling all of us to sacrifice in the next season of ministry. We need to get rid of this debt as fast as we can so we can stay focused on the prize, making disciples. Friends, I've been a part of way too many churches where mission suffered for the sake of maintenance. There was more investment in brick and mortar than there was in people. We will not be that church. 
We cannot be that church. And so we've got to have a plan to get rid of this debt as soon as possible. Because we don't want our debt to keep us from mission sustainability and expansion. And so here's my big prayer and vision to God. God, help us pay off this debt in five years or less. Help us pay off half a million dollars in five years or less. That's big. Remember, in the last year, we just got $300,000. Don't tell me what the Lord can't do. Help me, babe. What the old church say? I know too much about him. You can't make me doubt him. I know, I, know too, I know what the Lord can do. Don't get me to testify. We got to get out of here. But if y'all make me do it, I will. I know what the Lord can do. Listen, I, I could, listen, after we, we don't talk about it much from the stage, and I could talk to you about money and, and all the ways the Lord has provided, but let me tell you something. I'm praising God this morning for how he's keeping my wife through cancer. I know what the Lord can do, church. We've prayed for more good days than bad days, and guess what we've had? More good days than bad days. I know what the Lord can do. He's able. We serve a God that's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. And so what the Lord, remember the Lord Jesus said, as you make disciples, he says, here's his promise to us, and I will be with you. And what I can say from, from, for the last four years, it is evident that the Lord has been with us. And I believe he's going to continue to be with us in the next season of our ministry. And so today, I'm asking you to preferably consider going above and beyond your regular giving to help get rid of this debt in five years. You're going to have to dig deep. There's going to have to be some sacrifice. I'm telling you, one of the biggest sacrifices that my family and I are going to have to talk about is we're just going to have to stop eating out so much. Those picky kids of mine are going to have to eat some sandwiches. And I ain't talking about Chick-fil-A sandwiches. No, we ain't eating no bologna. Not that kind of sacrifice. We ain't there yet. <laughs> the Lord's still working on us. Not bologna or spam. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh-uh. Nah, uh uh-uh. you ain't gonna eat it yourself. <laughs> Let me tell y'all something real quick. We gotta go, really. This woman will tell me, I tried to feed her hot dogs for dinner one day. She said, my daddy never made me eat that. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us just need to go back over our budget and say, okay, for, for a season, what can we get rid of? Amen. So I'm asking you to prayerfully consider going, above and beyond your regular giving so that we can get rid of this debt. And remember, 
This is not for the sake of getting rid of debt. It's so that we can stay focused on making disciples of all nations. In a couple of weeks, on October the 6th, we're going to present you with pledge cards. And on that date, I'm going to ask you to just give me your pledge. If you want to give money, I'll take it. Well, I won't, but the church will take it. But I'm just asking you to make a pledge of how much you and your family are going to commit just over the next year. Let's just talk about, we're going to do this a year at a time, just over the next year. How much are you committing to helping us move forward for the sake of making disciples? The building is not the goal. The building is a resource, a tool that we're going to use for, this, for making disciples. And so on October the 6th, we're going to have, a, we'll have pledge cards for you, and I'm going to ask for you to make a commitment for how you are going to, to bless and be a blessing to your church so that we can stay on mission of making disciples of all nations. Can we do that? Amen. Oh. Amen. Y'all praying. Oh, yeah, they're praying. They're praying. They're praying. Okay. That's the state of the church. Now, I told you we had a couple of challenges. That's the one challenge that we have. The second challenge is one of the things that we've done is, and now listen, y'all, I try to be as transparent and vulnerable and open with you all as I can. So one of the other challenges that we have, and this will be it, um, is that we have used uh, our reserves. We've, we've had six-figure reserves on hand for the last three years or so, um, and we've used some of those reserves to, to front load some of our building costs. We've paid... We bought a new house. <laughs> it's new to you. You ain't never owned it. Y'all, this is how we, I'm sorry, y'all. Kind of lean, behave. We bought a house for future expansion. It's right behind our building. We had to pay a 50% deposit to complete our sound system at the new building. That was 35000 the house was $20,000. we have paid architecture fees around $25,000. Yeah, it's all right. The Lord, the Lord will provide. He's through y'all money, y'all uh, bank accounts. <laughs> and so what we are, we're in a, a situation right now, and the elders are going to be praying and processing over uh, the, the next few weeks about how do we address this challenge because right now we face, uh, for the first time in the history of the British church, we face a significant budget deficit. And so we have to talk about how do we overcome this budget deficit because we are committed to a balanced budget. And so everything's on the table right now. Yours truly may have to go bivocational. Staff may have to take salary cuts. So this is serious things. I'm trusting God in this season. Will y'all pray for me and my wife as we process? Pray for our staff families as they process through this. Will you pray for our elders? We're going to have this discussion tomorrow. Will you be praying for us so we know for, for wisdom about how to navigate this? Listen, God's going to take care of all of this. But here's what the first, as actually the first point under the thing that we need to do this year my first point was pray. Unless the Lord build the house, we build it in vain, church. 
And so what I need from you is intentional prayer for this church. Now, I talk about what we're doing mission-wise, but y'all, we do a lot of things to help the needy in our own church and in our community. That's one budget line where I'll get in trouble over. We, we go over that every year because we're trying to help people. That's why we need to get rid of this debt so we can continue to love the poor and the, those in need. And there's a lot of needs in our community. And people are starting to learn the Bridge Church loves their community. And they come to us. So one of the things that I told uh, Emily as we were discussing this, I said one thing we will not cut is mission. So none of our missionaries are getting cut. Come on, come on. Yeah. I don't want you to celebrate me, but celebrate that principle. Our missionaries don't get cut because we're called to make disciples. But I'm hoping y'all pledge really well so I don't have to go get another job too. All right, worship team, come back. Y'all sing for me. Sing for the Lord. Um, And then I'll be back to give you a word from the Lord as well. Kids, you will stay in for the moment and then we'll be dismissed in about 10 minutes. So we've been in Exodus chapter, in the book of Exodus. This series is called Revelation and Redemption. The last couple of weeks, we studied the plagues. The Lord sent plagues over Egypt because they were holding his people, Israel. And last week, we talked about the final blow where the Lord killed the firstborn in all of Egypt. But the only firstborn that were preserved were those who were a lamb had been sacrificed and their home was covered by the blood. That was the only way to be preserved from the judgment of death sent by the Lord. And so now after the Lord has released, uh, the Lord has, uh, Pharaoh has released his uh, Israel, they're on their way, they leave, and now... God tells Moses, he says, tell the people, I want them to encamp. This is chapter 14. I want them to encamp by the Red Sea. The people, they get to the sea, and the Lord tells Moses, he says, when I send them to this Red Sea, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he's going to pursue them. He and Egypt will say to themselves, what is this we have done? and letting Israel go. And so they will pursue them. The question that I've been trying to avoid, not intent, well, I haven't really tried to avoid it, but the question that I know you've been wanting to ask or waiting for me to get to is, what do we do with the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart? This is probably not the sermon to do that since I've only got eight more minutes to, to do it, but I'm about to try it. Here's what we have to understand about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. First of all, we must remember that God is sovereign. He does as he he pleases. It is his prerogative to save who he wills and not save who he does not. Friends, this is not my opinion. This is the position of Scripture. 
Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 18. I'll just read it to you. So what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. People don't like this kind of theology because they say God just is not fair. Why doesn't he give everybody a chance? Why doesn't he just save everyone? Who, why would we want to serve a God like that? What we have to remember is that no one deserves salvation. Friends, the Lord owes salvation to no one. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, wages are what you earn. What, we, what every person deserves is judgment, condemnation, death. That's what we deserve. So we really don't want God to give us what we deserve. So then it is God's prerogative to choose who he wants to save. It's amazing how in America everybody wants to be libertarian and, well not a libertarian, but they want to fight and argue for liberty, freedom, and choice until it comes to God. I don't want the government in my health care. I don't want the government taking my money. I want my freedom. I want my liberty. But when, we give, but when it comes to God, no, God just ain't fair. Uh-uh. I'm trying to get people to give. <laughs> so God is sovereign. He chooses whom he wills. But not only must we remember the Lord's sovereignty, but we also must remember that the Lord... That we must remember the Lord's wrath as well. Let's back back. The central attribute of God is his holiness. The holiness of God means that there is no one like him in all of the earth or in heaven. His holiness means that he is morally and ethically perfect. Because he is holy, he has to do something about sin. Sin has to be judged. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart is the Lord's wrath for Pharaoh's own sin and rebellion against the Lord. Pharaoh is indeed getting what he earned and deserved. The Lord judges against the unrighteous. And friends, he still does. And all people stand under God's judgment without Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 says it's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So to you this morning, when you see the Lord on judgment day, will he say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or will he say, depart from me? I never knew you. Why does the Lord judge ultimately? Verse 4, 14 says, he says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and I will get glory 
over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Everything that God does is for his glory. God's goal, as we have seen throughout the book of Exodus, is he wants the, all the world to know that he is the Lord. What's interesting about chapter 14, verse 4 is the Lord says, I want the Egyptians to know that I am the Lord. Here's the thing. He says, I want them to know I'm the Lord, but, then the, but here's the thing. The Lord knows he's going to kill them. So he wants them to know it. And then as soon as they know it, he's going to kill them. Lord, what are you doing? I think the Lord is teaching us this lesson. Everybody will know that he is the Lord. Some will know it through judgment. Others will know it through salvation. So what we see is the Lord judges the unrighteous. But not only do we see the Lord judging the unrighteous, but we see the Lord fighting for his people. The story moves forward. Pharaoh pursues Israel. And then when Pharaoh, I mean, Israel turns, the, the, the text says they lifted up their eyes and behold, they saw Pharaoh and his host. And so they say, here, we've got a sea right here. We got Pharaoh coming behind us. We're trapped. And the text says they feared greatly. And so they give Moses a piece of their mind. Moses, was it not enough? Were there not enough graves in Egypt for you to take us all the way to the wilderness to die? You done brought us, what have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Verse 12, is not this what we said in Egypt? We told you, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Friends, Israel is having a full-on spiritual meltdown. (laughs) They're blaming Moses for their situation. And worse than that, they said, we'd rather be back serving in Egypt. These same people that were crying out because the task, the work, and the servitude was too hard. Now saying, I'd rather be in Egypt. They have already forgotten what the Lord did to bring them out of Egypt. They are struggling with unbelief. And it has caused them to fear greatly. What they saw with their eyes, that's crucial, led them to lose their faith. And the question that I have for you this morning is, what are you seeing in your life that has you afraid? Moses has a word for him. He says, fear not. Chapter 14, verse 13, stand firm and watch this. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never See again, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Moses worked to them, don't be afraid, stand firm, don't surrender to Egypt. Instead of looking at your enemy, just be still and watch God work. He tells them the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Friends, what comforting words, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord is indeed our defender. He fights for his people. What the Israelites didn't realize is that this battle was not between Israel and Egypt. This battle was between the Lord and Pharaoh. This battle was the Lord's. 
All they needed to do was to stop complaining and let the Lord fight his battle. That's our problem. We want the Lord to fight our battle. It ain't ours to fight. Just let the Lord fight his battle. So how did the Lord fight his battle? The text says in verse 19 that the angel of God who was going before them moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between them and the host of Egypt. The Lord repositions his presence to protect his people. Okay, y'all ain't getting this. We got to go. Watch this. One day I woke up and then we'll leave. One day I woke up and I was going to go walk and I was trying to be good. So I got up that morning. That morning I got up. Brianna happened to be up that morning. Where are you going, Daddy? <clears throat> She's her mama's spy. I'm going to take a walk. Can I go? Sure, baby. I won't have my introvert time. Come on, come on. So we go, we walk, uh, we get to Edgemore, and then we go start walking up Edgemore. Four or five houses down, all of a sudden, Brianna's walking on the inside. I'm walking on the street. There's no sidewalk. And so I let her walk on the inside. All of a sudden, we hear, woo, 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 woo. Now, let me tell y'all something. Brianna is deathly afraid of anything with more than two legs. And she ain't going to talk to the two-legged ones. But she's deathly afraid of anything with more than two legs. I know this. What she don't know is I'm just as scared as she is right now. <laughs> Lord, uh-uh, he is, that, that is not man's best friend in my book. But my fatherly instinct says, Brianna, get behind me. I'm going to stand between you and what you're afraid of. All you have to do is just stand behind your daddy. And if I have to, I put all of this size 13 in this dog just for you. And so what, what happened was I let Brianna know you don't have to be afraid. Your daddy's going to block what's trying to get you. And friends, the only reason some of us are here today, the only reason some of us haven't experienced what we could have experienced is because God repositioned himself and he blocked what was trying to get at us. All right, I'm out. So what happens? The Lord tells Pharaoh, Moses, he says, stretch out your hand over the sea. The sea splits and becomes dry land. And so God's people walk across the sea on dry land. The water becomes like walls, the text says. Pharaoh in Egypt, they see this and they say, all right, let's go get them. They think that highway was made for them. What happened was that highway became their deathbed. Because the text says that the, the, the sea swallowed up Pharaoh. And it, well, it says Egypt, but if you read Psalms, you find out that Pharaoh died too. And so how, how does the story end? Here's the conclusion, verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. Remember, earlier they feared greatly against Pharaoh, but now they feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The Lord saved his people. Friend, that's the good news. That's the gospel. The Lord saves his people from his own judgment. And today the Lord stands ready 
willing and able to save from Satan, sin, and death. Just like the Lord made a way through the Red Sea, the Lord has made a way for you to be saved, for you to be forgiven. What is the way, Reverend? Jesus is the way. No man can come to the Father unless he comes through the Son. And so today, the response for somebody in this room is, believe on the Lord Jesus. He's ready to save you from Pharaoh. Satan. And he wants you to be a part of his chosen people. Somebody else is here today. You're saying, Brandon, I've responded that way. What's in it for me? What do I need to take from this? The people feared the Lord. We ought to fear the Lord and not man. Fear the Lord, not our circumstances. The text says they believed in the Lord. The same people who had just been, whose lives had been preserved by the blood, they, their first trial leads to unbelief. What God is calling us for is, no matter what the circumstance, trust in the Lord. But there is another, there is another response that the text calls for, chapter 15, the first 21 verses. They sing a song to the Lord about how he's brought them out, saved them, delivered them. And so the other response is to give God praise. Psalm 107, verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've been redeemed, you owe God a praise. Yeah, I, that'd be good if I, if I redeemed you. But I'm talking about the Lord who sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on an old rugged cross. Nails was, uh, a crown of thorns was put on his head. Nails was put in his hand. And he died. If you've been redeemed, you owe, you owe the Lord praise. And that was the final showdown. Let's stand.